a Women Charge podcast acknowledges the traditional custodians of the land on which we record, the Wilguru Kaba and Bindal peoples, whose sovereignty was never ceded, and we pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. Welcome to a Women Charge podcast, an honest, helpful and hopeful platform for women to listen and engage in discussion about topics ranging from the taboo, the obscure to the unjust and unfair. Yes, at a Women Charge podcast, we are buzzing for a life and want to bring Aussie vulva havers the truthful stories that proudly bear all there is to know about being a damn fine woman in 2022. Lubricate your ears and listen in to your host, Anna Charged, as I interview fierce fans from around Australia. Entrepreneurs, single mothers, medical professionals and influencers, all with a story to tell and real advice to offer real women. So today's show, someone who is not an influencer or a celebrity, a regular person that you might walk past at the school pickup. She describes herself as 100% truly and authentically herself all of the time. Yes, Jess Douglas Monks helps people of all genders and sexual preferences. She promises them a safe space to discuss sex, pleasure, their bodies and relationships without judgment and with the encouragement to be open and ask questions they've always wanted to ask but have been too afraid to so they can now live their most authentic and pleasure-filled lives. Jess and I connected over all things pleasure and sex positive, as well as our combined passion for robust and thorough sex education in Australia. Listen in, follow her on Instagram at the Better Sex Ed Project, and stay charged. Jess Douglas Monks, thank you so much for joining me today on a Women Charge podcast. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Thanks for having me. Now, Jess, just to let our audience know a little bit about you, you help people of all genders and sexual preferences from your regional area of the Goulburn Valley on Yorta Yorta land. And you promise your followers a safe space to discuss sex, pleasure, their bodies and relationships. And key to that is without judgment and always with encouragement, which I think is really beautiful as well. And you're encouraging them to be open and ask questions they've always wanted to ask but have been too afraid to ask and so that they can really live their most authentic and pleasure-filled lives. Now what's really interesting about this and what we have discussed a little bit before you came on air but I didn't want to go too much into it is that you did start studying psychology back in 2009 so obviously we are 13, 14, nearly 14 years on. (laughs) My maths right and then you said that you had children so you sort of like I was going to say lost your way but you've said lost my shit a bit. Um, (laughs) Yeah I did. But I don't want to use that language because I know you have bipolar as well. So um, we could talk a bit about that. Um, You got your shit back, became a florist, and then finally decided to give psych one last go. And so now you are studying it full time whilst you work and you are researching sexology, sexual health, madly on the side. Run your Instagram. You were doing a podcast. Now you're just being a beautiful (laughs) podcast guest. And to try and have a marriage and a social life all at the same time. 
brackets, googly-eyed emoji. Pretty much. So I know, like, that does sound a lot, but you did say, look, it's actually fine. And and maybe you're the same as me, but as long as you're doing something that you're interested in and you love, then it's fine. I guess where we'll start then is how you even got into this beautiful and sex-positive space, you know, and what actually do you think led you to be where you are right now? So my account is the Better Sex Ed podcast, but it actually started out as The Mama Bears More, which is a play of my personal Instagram account, which is just The Mama Bear that I've had for 10 years. At the end of last year, I started wanting to share more personal things about my life and sexuality and that kind of thing. I'd always been pretty open on the account, but I just felt the whole audience, they didn't ask for that content. So I had the idea to start a separate account and I put it to the followers on that account who would be interested in following me to talk about that kind of thing, to be more open, a place for, I guess it was a place for women to start with, mostly, you know, because a lot of my followers were cis women uh, who were married with children. So we can go and talk about sex and our bodies and periods and all of the things that maybe everyone else on the other account didn't sign up for. Mm. And the response was quite overwhelming. I was really surprised. I thought, oh, no one's going to go for this. But my inbox was full, you know, of women saying, yes, yes, I need this I need this amazing oh my god people are so curious they are all over this content and it's funny how we worry that they're not going to be or they're going to be insulted or something yes so I just started it in I think it was December last year it's just gone from there and it's grown and evolved into something totally different than what I initially planned did you find like you mirrored your audience from your first account did they all just move over slower process definitely Mm -hmm. a lot of them are following on both accounts the new account has a lot of people that I don't know words just got around I guess and like your audience you said there's a lot of cis women who Mm. are in that early years of their family and they are married whether they identify as heterosexual or not like they're still having those same you know issues and do you find that when you've started this new content that tends to still be your audience is it like that millennial age group yes Mm -hmm. yeah definitely 25 to 40 I would say and mainly cis hat people but you know I'm starting to get more queer LGBTQIA plus followers which is great which I love so yeah well that's why I think it's really great about your account is that you know you self-identify as queer but if people are thinking about the stereotypes of different ends of the sexuality spectrum you are in the middle of you're not like this classic gay lesbian like putting all these more traditional labels on your sexuality and I think that's part of the fluidity of sexuality nowadays is that and I know you said you don't like it when people often just assume that you're heterosexual you know you're carving out your own identity and your sexuality is part of that it's not the main part but you know it is sort of changing the narrative of people's assumptions and people will begin to like stop having those assumptions and those judgments when they first come across someone and I find that myself as well like I don't know it's difficult like now identifying as bisexual although I'm kind of just like what's the label it's great to not have to worry about being that like heterosexual norm it's a really fun and fluid place to be which I guess is exactly what sexuality should be exactly that's right and I'm aware that there is a privilege that comes with presenting as heterosexual but that is not authentic to me that doesn't feel authentic to me so while it's a privilege I don't I just don't identify Mm -hmm. as heterosexual at all so 
yeah, that's why I do get a bit frustrated when people assume that. So, yeah, I'm here to change that narrative and say, yeah, I can be married to a cishet man, but I'm I'm not a heterosexual woman. And I love the community. I live for the LGBTQIA plus community and I belong in it, even though I'm in a relationship with a cishet man. Yeah. So who the fuck are millennials nowadays? Anyway, like what, what are we all about? Because I know you and I both identify as one purely because of our birth date. Yes. I'm 86 and I think it goes right to Same. 81. Okay, so that's like 42 or something. Who are they? How are we identifying? How have we changed in the last 10 years? Well, we are. I think we're classified as elder millennials. Oh, like geriatric ones. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know. Yeah, I think there's a millennials get a lot of shit. It's such a broad age range, though. And yeah. so much has happened in our period of becoming adults. I'm such a different 36-year-old to my parents when they were 36. Mm. Like, I was 16 when they were my age, yeah. so I remember them, and they seemed a lot different to us. Mm. And that was but probably them being quite young parents as well, because they must have only been They were, yeah. yeah. So much has progressed, I think. I feel lucky to be a millennial now. Yeah, I think we're quite... Um, we've had lots of advantages, especially with tech, but also not having yeah. had it too young, well, some, some of the millennials have. Yeah. And so that's definitely been to our advantage. Although I do find that, you know, now you say we're getting a lot of shit, like, I feel like mm-hmm. maybe that's like an ageist thing as well because we're not the young fresh hip people anymore (laughs) and probably because like I'm using words like hip um (laughs) but you know I think that also that plays into what I'm discovering about millennials especially for people who identify as women in the pressure about body confidence body image and growing up in that 90s period like I didn't really think much about it and totally informs a lot of the way that I think about myself and my own body even though I'm very lucky not to have any anxiety or any eating disorders that's like a massive thing that I really hope does not transpose onto the next generation or even gen gen a which are children at the moment and so something probably to be applauded for our generation for having put up with yeah absolutely and a lot of my account is about I don't want to say body positivity because I don't want to co-opt that area being a white sort of mid-sized woman that's not really my space but you know even body neutrality just being like okay with it you don't have to love every piece every part but just accepting that we don't also have to look like a Barbie Mm -hmm. anymore which is what we grew up being taught Mm -hmm. I have had a lot of issues with my body over the years I had an eating disorder when I was a teenager I'm constantly trying to help people love their bodies more but I still struggle greatly with loving mine so I feel like a bit of a hypocrite sometimes but still it's an ongoing journey for me so I'm still learning I'm still trying to accept the parts that you know I don't love so much yeah I think that's a really good analogy to discuss about parenting as well is that you're often not practicing what you preach because mm-hmm. you're, you know what message you should be putting out there but it's very difficult to do that in practice especially with body confidence I was listening to um, a podcast about anxiety and eating disorders recently it was Dr Jodie Richardson and she mentioned how she was discussing with her daughter about how you know she's really body positive and she knows that her body's not perfect but then after yeah. going and seeking advice from the Butterfly Foundation which is an amazing resource for anyone um, who yes is either experiencing or has family or friends who are experiencing eating disorders they said like even just the reframing of the language you know you say that your body's not perfect well that actually ensues that there is somewhere a perfect body which could be attained if you do x y or z so like just changing the narrative about the body diversity and the fact that there is no perfect body and one thing that i was thinking about to do with that is 
awkward questions that children will ask you or point out and ask questions about someone's difference obviously very public sometimes like in the supermarket or whatever and I did that when I was younger it's all constant story where my mum was absolutely mortified that in an elevator on the way somewhere and I asked my mum why the woman standing next to me was so fat and that's like a question that parents sort of have to put up with now and instead of being so closed about it celebrating body diversity like fat isn't a bad thing so there's like so many different ways that we like as parents are trying trying to do things differently but we remember the negative connotations that we received or the positive affirmations that we received for thinness and I really hope that we're the last generation that has to totally 180 on a lot of what we were taught as children that goes massively for one of our loves we both have a love for sex education and good robust sex education silence on this topic is the worst thing that could happen what does sex education mean to you as a millennial and how are you trying to change that how are you trying to 180 that the openness and just trying to remove the shame that's the main thing for me is and that's the main thing for a lot of my followers who have come over they just have so much shame embedded in themselves about sex and their bodies their own bodies there's no need for that because that's what leads to or contributes to kids hiding things and abuse and that kind of thing if they feel like they're ashamed of their body and they're ashamed of talking about sex it's so much harder for them to speak up if they have experienced some sort of abuse Mm. and it's harder to have those conversations for parents if they've got shame I've always been super open with my kids about you know using correct anatomical definitions and that kind of thing as well as just answering their questions yeah that's it just answer them and I guess I'm lucky I don't feel the shame, but it wasn't easy initially. I still had to put myself out there with them, but now it just comes very easily to me. And the more you do it, the more it will. Yeah, it's practice, isn't it? It's not just one conversation. No. Um, It's continually getting those positive affirmations and that openness from them. Mm. Shame is something I talk about a lot as a sex educator. It's so, it's such a difficult topic because so many people, I mean, I would actually count myself included, don't realise either they don't realise they have shame or they don't realise the extent of the shame and how deep it runs. Mm. And I'm constantly finding more shame that exists deep within me on a topic I've never really thought about until it's resurfaced again. How do you approach that, right, when someone speaks to you and they they have no recognition of shame and that that's why they're feeling the way they do? Because you don't want to re-trigger anyone. You don't want to, like start something if they're not ready like how would you approach that with anyone who's maybe dming you for instance i think i've been lucky in that most people who have dm'd me about that sort of thing when they're saying i want to talk to my kids but i don't know how or i want to talk to my partner but i don't know how to bring it up most of them are quite aware that they have the shame there what's harder for me is when i've experienced as an adult who's just been sex positive in my own personal life other adults shaming me for being that way and me knowing that there's nothing wrong with me it's actually their internalized shame Mm -hmm. they've got a lot of shame guilt but they're projecting it onto me that's probably the most difficult thing for me but i've learned to rise above that by recognizing that it is my problem and how do you find those conversations go in terms of outcomes for them like what sort of things do you try because i I guess you don't want to like be a therapist without it must be really difficult to find the fine line so I'm super upfront with everyone who comes to me for advice. I'm like, this is just advice from me personally. I'm not a therapist. I'm doing a psych degree. I'm not a psychologist. And everyone's 
quite happy with that. I think sometimes that's almost better for them in some ways. They just feel more comfortable that way because it's more like just having a chat with a friend. Yeah. Um, most people are relieved. I feel like a lot of what I do is just giving people permission to explore the things they've always wanted to or to talk about the things they've always kept inside. Yeah, get it out there. And a lot of them are really aware and they're saying to me, like, I know I've got this shame and I wish I did it. I guess I just encourage them to keep following accounts like mine, normalize it and ask the questions, you know, read the books, do the work really, because it, it's internal work that you have to do yourself. Yeah. No one can do it for you. I know. And that's often the answer we don't want. Exactly. <laughs> no, I've found most people are really receptive and I've seen, I've had a lot of really good results where people I can see have changed in their confidence, whether it's that they've been able to bring something to their partner that they didn't feel comfortable in bringing to them or, and it's gone really well. And they didn't realize that, you know, their partner's not going to shame them, that it was their shame that they were holding. So I love that part of what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And it's so important in general for mm. the realization, I think probably of our generation, like we're going to continue with the millennial theme, that mm. sexuality is constantly changing and that your sexual preference and your pleasure and your perception of that that's always going to change so if you're in a long-term relationship that's not going to stay the same either with and you know you need to learn and grow with each other and that's good that's so it's great good I mean imagine (laughs) if it was the opposite and you were like right whatever you have set in stone now just continue that please until you're too old to even have intercourse anymore you know or have any sort of sexual interaction like that would be so anxiety provoking I think I couldn't cope so I think like moving towards that celebration is really really a good thing that's why people like you are really good for reframing it for people so that it's not this okay you have to do some internal work but it's not like a huge difficult cumbersome job like it can be a really exciting one and one that'll have great far-reaching results if you were going to tackle any part of your health mental or physical if you do that in the correct way like it has huge far-reaching implications for every part of your life which as you know like and you advocate for as well sexual health is health like and sexuality is health and pleasure is health so as long as we can get that right and go full circle then it's only for the better I'd love I don't know if you feel like this as well but I'd love a crystal ball and see what sex ed (laughs) is like in like a hundred years time you know a couple of generations away I would love to know what it was like and if it is really such a big deal at school like would it just be something that people get in the course of their home life have you ever thought about that yeah well I'm currently doing a couple of education modules from sexual health Victoria Mm -hmm. because I know all the different states have different ways of delivering sex ed which is interesting as well but they are looking at doing like a whole schooling approach or something along those lines where they're introducing consent and that sort of thing and the sexual health aspect throughout all of the schooling so it's not just you're going to have a class on sex ed there are themes in there that are going to run through all of their schooling which I think is great and it's an opt out not opt in unless a parent is really really adverse to it the child's going to get it which I think is really important Mm. because a lot of kids aren't getting any sex ed at home Mm -hmm. for whatever reason while it's not entirely on the education system I think there is an onus on the education system to provide some sort of comprehensive and sex positive sex ed for sure absolutely and I think that they are starting to really figure out how to you know even start that process because Mm. cynically and this is a good thing at the end of the day like it makes much better economical sense to have a really happy and healthy flourishing population 
and for healthcare and the public health system not to have to be the backstop for all these health yeah. problems which may incur as life goes on like without having proper mm-hmm. education and you know and that goes for mental health massively as well which we don't I don't talk about mental health a lot because I feel like I'm not super qualified to talk about it but like sexual health and pleasure like is mental mm-hmm. health you know it's all part of that there's just no downsides at all none I mean people are often mistaken for thinking that teaching kids about sex sexualizes them and that puts it in their heads it's like it's there mm. already it's going to be there and if they're not getting it from a, a qualified educated source do you know where they're going to get it from they're going to get it from mainstream porn yeah and that's a massive issue at free, the moment and free porn as well which tends to free, be of a lesser mainstream policy. yeah unethical violent that's the biggest issue we're facing yeah for sure and that was so interesting what you said about sexualization of children because i feel like i am really teaching myself how to stop doing that as well I was listening to Clementine Ford's new podcast the other day. I feel like I'm just recommending everyone's podcast on my own podcast. Yeah. Um, listen to the end of the episode first. But yeah, her new podcast, Dear Clementine, is so fucking good. There was a question that came up about people posting pictures of their children who are doing sort of dance or pageants. She sort of talked about, okay, like moving aside the posting pictures of your children issue, she talked about, well, those children aren't, like, you know, they're not sexualizing themselves. It's us who's sexualizing them. Like, they just are yeah. going and playing with, like, makeup and dance and expressing exactly. themselves, which is actually really beautiful. And I really had to reframe the way I think about that and makeup. Mm-hmm. And my daughter wants to change the color of her hair. She's really young. Like, I probably in the past wouldn't have let her because I think she has to be some sort of natural child. But, like, if she wants to do that, yeah. now I'm like, yeah, she can absolutely do whatever the fuck she wants to be honest as long as it's safe (laughs) and I completely remember feeling that that when I was younger and I was constantly over sexualized from a young age because I was very tall and just looked much older than I was and just having that feeling and I don't know if you were the same that that this was just something that I had to put up with and that I was fully okay with it because that made me feel like I was in control rather than like freaking out (laughs) And yeah, like, you definitely. know, constant little little mini sexual assaults or being asked to get into men's cars, you know, that was just something that I was, that was just not daily life, but like weekly, monthly life, getting beat yeah, at absolutely. on the road in my uniform, you know, that was just something that we had to deal with. And I would never have thought to tell my parents about it because not that they weren't open to that discussion. It's just more, well, that's, just, that's this what is, happens. Yeah, this is what happens. That's normal. I don't know yeah. if you feel like the same growing up. Yeah. And I had big boobs. I always had big mm. boobs. So I was always hypersexualized, but mm. my way of dealing with it was to emphasize them. Okay. I was like, I'm going to own this. Yeah. And all the other girls who had big boobs were hiding them with shirts. And I was like, nope, they're all out there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was my way of coping with that was like, so I'm going to roll with it. So, and I did that for years and years and years. I still like, I love my boobs. Yeah. Um, but now I reckon, and I'm just guessing you can tell me if I'm wrong. Did you have yeah. a male lens on it back then? Like were you? Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, I, was, now it's I was doing it for them. Yeah. hundred percent. One hundred percent. Yeah. Um, but you had no choice because you knew that's where the power lay. Yep. Definitely. Mm. It was definitely a way that I had some sort of power over the way I was viewed. So, yeah, I absolutely identify with that, that Mm. hypersexualization from a very young age. Mm. Whereas, like, six months before, it would have been, oh, I don't know how long it took for you to get your voluptuous boobs. But, you know, like, you know, just not long before. Child to double Ds. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. And, you know, I think that's probably the same for all different types of genders or anyone who's presenting the way that they want to present. It's just 
we have that experience of girl to woman and mm. the stark and dangerous differences that exist in that period as well and it's good for for millennials who have the children yeah. who are becoming that age to be really aware of it and yeah. god just like every time I sound like my parents so just like take a step back <laughs> Stop what you think yeah. you're about to say and reframe it again, please. Your amazing ability to advocate online is so important. I think probably why you have such a big following. And you've already talked about like the messages that you get from people and how you interact with them personally. But I love how, you know, I think it was a few weeks ago, you just talked about the night before, like a session that you had with your partner and how like amazing it was or how different it was or you know you're really just like some people would say oversharing but you're just appropriately yeah. <laughs> appropriately sharing the right amount so that other people can feel like they can have those conversations with their friends with their partner more or like open up to different things what what are the scenarios that you find really help you realize the amount that you're doing to help with people or has someone ever said anything to you that made you just so super proud of all those oversharing <laughs> things that you've done in the past yeah for sure so my husband definitely feels like it's oversharing and i do try and contain it because he's the opposite to me he's super private mm -hmm. so i have to be respectful of that but at the same time, it's also my life and I like to share. So I try to find a balance there. Mm. I, I do frequently get messages from people saying, thank you so much for sharing X. I tried it with my partner and it was amazing. Or what you said gave me confidence to then go and buy this lingerie or buy a toy for the first time or try a different position or just speak to my partner about something and that is so fulfilling for me you know that makes me feel amazing because yeah. these are conversations that they wouldn't be having otherwise you know I used to have my PayPal up buy me a coffee or whatever and I took it down ages ago months ago mm -hmm. I think it's still on my link tree and I'm still occasionally I'll just get a random PayPal payment and it, it'll just be someone saying thank you for this or that and it blows me away because mm. I'm not advertising it and I'm I'm not asking for anything but people they really value it and then you go and buy a coffee and think of yeah transactional I, I love it so when I was preparing for today I asked you for three takeaways mm -hmm. and you very graciously gave me three takeaways for all the listeners who are listening to this episode so number one sex positive education is essential for future generations number two pleasure is vital to our existence and nothing to be ashamed of and for pursuing. You mm -hmm. mentioned there before about simple thing like buying some new lingerie or buying a toy for the first time. Mm -hmm. And I can imagine for a lot of those people that doesn't seem like something that's really out there, but they still haven't done it. Having someone like you just saying, yeah, just try it, like I do it. Yeah, that's literally it. They just need to see someone that is not an influencer or a celebrity, mm. you know, just a regular person really that they small. might walk past at the school pickup yeah. and go, ah, you know, yeah. <laughs> and that's fine from, by me. I don't care if yeah. they know that I do that. If that encourages them to go and do it, I'm happy with that. Yeah, for sure. How do you feel like you get on at the school pickup? Because for me very much, I have, <laughs> I feel like I have two identities and probably like a little bit of internalized misogyny. I haven't managed to merge them yet. Like I feel like I have mum life, which I'm not massively keen on because I feel like it's fucking difficult and not who I am. And then I have Anna charge life where I just sell yeah. vibrators and talk about sex all day. So how do you yeah. get on at the school gates? Is there that 
stigma or stereotypes or do you just stand there loving it? I think initially a couple of years ago when my kids were younger, so my girls are grade five and grade four and my son is prep. So, mm. and they go to, it's a small school, like about 150, 180 kids or something like that in a very, very tiny little town. So everyone knows everything. And initially I used to feel quite shamed. Yeah. If I ever posted something that was a bit out there, I'd be like, oh, I wonder if they saw that or they're talking about that. And I don't know what happened. I don't know if it's just me getting to my mid thirties or just realizing that I'm now doing what I should be doing, what I, I think born to do. I don't give a fuck. Mm. I truly don't care. I am myself 100% mm-hmm. authentically all the time. If they know that I've had like the best orgasm of my life the night before and then they see me the next day at school and they, they think there's something wrong with that, that's their problem, yeah. not mine. And you need to try and figure out what, what it was that made you stop worrying about that sort of stuff. And yeah, then you and need to. It. Yeah. <laughs> I was just about to say that like bottle it and probably have to do very little marketing the bottle might be the most expensive part of that process but that is what I'm trying I guess trying to do that's what I'm trying to give people yeah that feeling I would love if people walked away feeling like that looking at my account or listening to me okay you've got to put that in a one-liner that's your like mission in life (laughs) yeah (laughs) okay so number three your pleasure is yours only don't worry about what everyone else is doing just focus on what works for you so I think people and especially women compare ourselves constantly Mm -hmm. um, whether it's to do with the way we look or bodies and image but also experiences or perceived successes yeah and more so pertaining to sex couples seem to think that you must be having tons of sex Mm. all the time to be happy and have a fulfilling sex life but that's not the case a couple could be having sex once a month once every six months whatever that arbitrary number is and if they're happy with that that's great Mm. that's a good sex life for them Mm -hmm. what I'm doing should have no bearing on how they feel about their sex life. Mm-hmm. Because we've all heard the average couple has X yeah. amount per week. <laughs> and you just it constantly doesn't matter. Yeah, you constantly compare yourself against it. And if yeah. you're having like mind blowing sex once a six months yeah. and you're both okay with that, then that's it. It's what you're happy with within your partnership, mm. you know, or in your single sex life. Mm. You don't have to be going out and having sex all the time to be fulfilled. Yeah. You can be masturbating a lot and yeah. be having a great sex life. Having great sex with yourself absolutely i think with parents as well there's peaks and troughs depending on what the fuck your kids are up to i mean personally i love morning sex as a parent that's pretty much gone out the window there's very few occasions yeah or you have to really like wake your partner up and and my partner is not that keen on it he's like just like i want to sleep right now (laughs) and also another part like personal overshare is that i'm doing like loads of exercise right now post getting my all clear for my abdominal cancer and i've got another operation in february and i just want to turn up like feeling super strong and healthy yeah and so i'm getting up every morning and just going to circuits class and so Mm. i'm like fucking tired at night so like i'll be like open to having some sexy time but then accidentally completely fall asleep straight away so there's like yep. as long as there's an open communication about it you know I think like exactly. it's absolutely fine yeah yeah that's that whole you know scheduling is so unsexy thing but it's like no it's actually really practical like yeah so where can people find you I know you talked about your at better sex ed project on Instagram all of my sex ed stuff is at 
the Better Sex Ed project. Great, and you've got your link tree through there as well. Yeah, yep, that's Amazing. just in the in the bio. And what's next for you? Yeah, well, I've got a few things in the pipeline. I've got a health and wellness event coming up in a couple of weeks, which you've generously donated some commands yeah. to give away, which I'm excited about. Speaking at that, doing a little bit of a workshop on awakening and nourishing your sexual self. Yeah. So that's exciting. Giving some talks to some parents about how to talk to their kids about sex, Mm -hmm. pleasure, their bodies. Mm -hmm. Just more study. Watch this space. And life. (laughs) Yeah, and life. (laughs) Amazing. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And please, if anyone's listening and they need any advice or they just want to see what the fuck Jess is talking about, then please (laughs) follow her at the Better Sex Ed Project. Thanks. I love that episode. Honest, helpful and hopeful advice from one human to another, usually via the medium of Instagram, but always with authenticity and heart. If you are interested in anything that Jess and I discussed today, then please DM us or follow her account at The Better Sex Ed Project, where she shares with and interacts with her followers on her account and through her stories and she fills it with evidence-based information and resources for people exploring their sexuality or for parents wanting to feel like themselves again. Jess is one of those truthful and upfront and honest people. What you see is what you get and that is exactly what she's trying to tell people about sex education for children and adolescents. Be honest, have the conversations and also do the work if you feel like there is something you need to explore within yourself. There will be a pot of gold and more orgasms at the end of the rainbow. So I have three more episodes to release to you lovely legends before the end of the season and before I take a break from the podcast. I really want to go away and do some proper brainstorming and reconfigure the setup so I can make it as useful and resourceful and fun as possible for you listeners. So holler me a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts. I don't get paid or use advertising for this work, so any help you can offer would be amazing. And until next time, stay charged.